Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week are two sports writers who both ate the Xavier Henderson meal, trademark, at McDonald's before recording. It's Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer Chris Solari, and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Chris, as we learned yesterday, the Xavier Henderson meal is the crispy chicken sandwich with fries and a Fanta. What is the Chris Solari meal? Trademark for McDonald's. I mean, we're not. I'm not into giving free advertisements. They want to pay me, I'll make it, um, and and give them some free pub. Um, but uh, you know, I try to avoid McDonald's, quite honestly. Maybe college age Chris Solari. You know what was really good that that's no longer there was the the crispy chicken wraps. I really like those. Say it because it's off the menu, and I'm not giving them any free pub for that. Yeah, yeah, no, I've had many iterations of the McDonald's choice. Uh, in college, I uh, actually had a pretty good year where I was doing an unpaid internship, did not have extra, extra cash, and just had a McFlurry, an M&M McFlurry for lunch every day. Um, that was outstanding. Those were good times. Yeah, that's a, in good shape. That sounds um, awesome. And then, uh, but nowadays, uh, now that I calorie count and uh, you know watch the sugar intake and things of that nature, um, believe it or not, despite my physique, the uh, it's the two cheeseburgers. And a, and a small coffee, black coffee. That's it. I love cheese. I do still love a good McDonald's cheeseburger. Like I think it's very good. 300 calories a piece. Two of them, 600 calories. Modest meal. Feel good. And, and if any, anybody back at corporate is listening, you can get on that, on selling the uh, sponsorship for this podcast on that anytime now. Absolutely. That's right. Well, the Phil Friend Meal is the exact opposite of you guys. I go as extremely unhealthy as possible. It is two sausage egg McMuffins with extra cheese and a large iced mocha. So if you want to get 1,300 calories into your body just to start the day right away, that is your meal. That is your go-to. McDonald's, give me the sponsorship. Let's go. I do like a good egg McMuffin now and again just to uh, start the day if I got a, if I got time. Anyway, uh, congrats to Xavier Henderson for, for uh, grabbing that bag, literally and figuratively, financially and food-wise. There's a lot of cool NIL stuff coming here that I've, I've been getting besieged with from companies that really want to pump it out right before kickoff. But, um, you know, bobbleheads of players, trading cards, um, you, know, you name Chris, it. Chris, I want to ask you this. Uh, it, it, you say you talk about being besieged, and I, and I find this too. Like, I, it, it, the NIL space is gone from, like, I mean, I remember a year ago and like, the offensive lineman at Michigan State had to deal with Jolly Pumpkin. It was a big deal. It was a new cool thing. It's almost a non-story now, isn't it, to some degree? Now, there are cool ones. There are fun ones, and there are ones that become – but there are so many of them. And um, How often – answer yourself this. How often do you hear and see these kind of stories about professional athletes being in the, the major media sphere? Because that's that they do that on the daily. 
right. it's not a, it's not a deal and and right now it's a hot story so a lot of it's, companies are jumping on it and and quite honestly from our standpoint in the business if you want to advertise pay us that's how our business operates we are not here to give you free publicity well it's, it's also it's also interesting because I, you know and i don't i've often you know i try to judge to some degree what you know i choose to write based on my own interests trying to and sometimes I know there are things that the readers are more interested in than I am, but I, I have sort of lost interest in, in the NIL th- uh, world. Uh, not entirely, like there are aspects of it that I find fascinating, but I, the, the, the general deal, the, um, I, I don't find is, is, is interesting anymore. And just the whole space of it, I don't find is, is interesting. I, I'm ready for games. I think a lot of people are, you know, like I like that aspect of the job more than anything. Yeah. I mean, and, we've really, we've really hit a point where what is, what is our role with this? Because, okay, the first year it was something new. Now it's part of the business model, right? So if you want to be part of the business model, you got to be part of our business model in my world, um, in, in this world of newspapers. Um, that's that's the plain and simple of it. Now the stories that are there are going to be how how does the federal government step in? Is there is there going to be any more rethought of oh my goodness we've opened Pandora's box we got to get away from this because it's really turned into paying for players um, and and you know like Tom Izzo has said many many times about many many things the unintended consequences. I mean, anybody who knew college sports saw this coming in terms of how it would be used, monopolized, manipulated, and sports love to play in the gray area. Coaches love to play in the gray area. Boosters love to play in the gray area. Um, and now, I mean, there's no gray area anymore. It's just because there's no rules and no guide rails. So well, I, I would, I, I'm, I mean, some, at some point, someone's going to revisit and say, hold up, what exactly is happening here? And how are these public institutions now all of a sudden becoming commodities for athletes to make millions of dollars in, in uh, AP just had a big story about players driving around in Mercedes and, I, and all these other things, you know, high profile sports cars. So there's, I mean, I think there's, there's going to be some, some rethought of this at some point. I just don't know. And, and quite possibly they may, may, they may not be able to do that again. But. I yeah. I, I think, I think, it's sort of been adjudicated at this point, and, and I don't think it can go back. But what, what I will find interesting is if, and I think we're headed this way with the, the size of the media rights deals, if there is some sort of more formal compensation, uh, even if it's through an NIL deal with the Big Ten, if that winds up being allowed or whatever it is that allows um, certain athletes to get paid more directly or have revenue sharing or however it ends up working out, does that income wind up being generally enough that it begins to, you know, I don't want to say dwarf, because some of these NIL deals are big, but it, it certainly um, makes the NIL world less important in, in, in the recruiting space and things like that. And that, that's, that stuff we'll have to see. We're going to have to see, like, you know, one thing that it's very clear that some schools, you know, Michigan and Michigan State being two of them, right now are, are you know, their compliance people are pretty dead serious on this they are not going yeah. to allow for paying for pay for play and, and, and recruits and how that affects people and the flip side of this and mel tucker will tell you this that a lot of these you know and he had a line about it at, at big 10 media days too and it, um at the time i didn't really completely understand what he what he was 
was saying, but later on he kind of clarified that some of these deals aren't what they seem and aren't what the athletes think. So if you get a, uh, a, a guy who gets a, uh, what he thinks is a million dollar NIL deal when he commits and that money doesn't look like it's coming in by the time he signs, I think there could be a lot of kids in November and December whose families are like, wait a second, where is this? You've already broken the trust with the kid. It's not going to be the same amount. The kid went there for the money in the first place, so it wasn't a decision that they maybe wanted. And I think that that's going to get fascinating when when the the real money actually comes to fruition. Well, and and this is from the the AP story that came out on Wednesday. You know, right first re- week one of college football season, the their story projects and uh, according to the NIL platform Open Doors, um, it, it the the amount uh, that will be spent. In year two on name, image, and likeness for college athletes, $1.14 billion. So that's real, tangible money that's being out there. Now, there's obviously a lot more college athletes that that can have that. I mean, you're talking, what, 130 football bowl subdivision schools, probably like 340, 350 Division one basketball schools, times, you know, the 100 athletes for football and 15 athletes for basketball with a sliding scale of where that money's going. I mean, this is, this is tangible. This is a significant number, a dollar figure that, that is out there. And, you know, it's another, it, listen, Mark sports figures always have been marketing, uh, I guess, bait for companies because you're, they, they get you in your living room, you know, once a week in college football, sometimes three times a week in college basketball, right? You're seeing them there. So it's, 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 it is fascinating to see how quickly it's extrapolated. I know some people have projected, well, when they're not getting the return on investment, how is it going to be? Are these companies going to back away and balk at it? Well, there'll be another company that steps up and does it. Um, so th- I think, you know, this is the very, very early part of it, but, you know, and, and I know we're here to talk about college football week one, but, this is this is the new norm. This is what college sports is, and not not becoming is it. You know, I I hate when people say like, well, the internet's the way of the future. Well, the internet's been around for twenty five years. This has been around for two years. This is reality right now. All right. Well, it was just supposed to be a fun question about what your McDonald's meal is has turned into a ten plus minute uh, conversation about nil. But you should learn that lesson, Phil. Learn that well, lesson. I've been doing this for six years. You think I would? Uh, you would think I'd have this lesson down by now? But uh, <laughs> and, 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 I don't. and again, do. I- Again, to our friends at corporate, uh, let's get on the sponsorships. <laughs> exactly. Our time is money, too. So That's right. All right. Well, let's move on uh, to uh, the, this week, which is which is game week. It's our first one, or first football one anyway, since uh, late late December. So uh, that's going to be very exciting for all college football fans, especially Michigan State fans, uh, as the Spartans open up their season at 7 p.m. Friday against Western Michigan. Uh some of the storylines, it's Wednesday, so some of these storylines have already been covered. You know, the Spartans are a 23-point favorite, according to DraftKings. Uh, Western Michigan's offensive coordinator is Jeff Thorne, who is the dad of Michigan State quarterback Peyton Thorne. Jaden Reed played his freshman year at Western Michigan before transferring to Michigan State. Um, so, let's cover the big ones. Uh, let's maybe go through a couple thoughts apiece here, guys. Uh, you know, since it's game week, you know, things are changing now. Maybe you have some thoughts about the depth chart or... Uh, something going on with the team or you're you know someone's impressing you all of a sudden or something you got a little nibble at a press conference that you know tickles your fancy uh chris what uh what what is what was your number one thought heading into this game friday night 
Well, I, I mean, the Jeff Thorne, Peyton Thorne thing is, you know, to me, not necessarily a, a big story for, I mean, it's it's an interesting human interest piece with, with them. But what I do think is interesting in terms of how it translates to the game is Jeff Dorn last year when he was head coach at North Central um, and even in 2020 uh, when there wasn't Division Three football that year, he's seen a lot of Michigan State. He's see, he knows the personnel um, even before he, he knew that he would end up in this position, right? So how does that help Western Michigan that not only is this guy – you know, you know, the, these division one coaches are, are film junkies and they're watching all this stuff. And, you know, we talked with Courtney Hawkins and Mel Tucker this week about, you know, what exactly they're watching. And I mean, they're watching they're watching footage of North Central. They're watching footage of, you know, all the way back to like who knows how long with Jeff Thorne's offense, maybe maybe back into the tw- early 2000s when he took over there. Right. Um, but for Jeff Thorne, seeing Michigan State has been fresh. And I think that to me is is kind of the fascinating thing is, you know, how does that maybe benefit the Broncos uh, on both sides of the ball as a guy who had been a head coach and, and understands what Michigan State was doing on offense by watching his son, but also watching their defense and just the general college football mind that, that a, a head coach would have. I think for me, it's I have curiosity about this Western Michigan team. Um, and the more I learn about them. Uh, the less I think they have any shot to beat Michigan State. The but the more I'm convinced that there's a chance the spread might be something you want to stay away from at 22 and a half points. Although if you got it over the summer, you might have got it at 17 and a half before it went up. But there's a dynamic that it takes to to pull an upset in, in, in a game like this. And it you know I covered that program. People probably know when I lived in in, in that town, and people can drink if they play along with that sort of uh, game when I uh, mentioned that school. But Wait, wait, um, wait. wait. You covered Western Michigan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I've seen how these upsets happen. I've seen how they don't. And the, the dynamic is quarterback is a playmaker who gives teams problems. A big-time wideout or, or, or receiver, you know, offensive weapon threat that is truly a problem at any level. And then you need decent offensive line. And then on the other side of the ball, you need you need uh, or the other way you need the Big Ten or major schools offense to be limited to some degree to have to not be explosive, and and we don't know yet that MSU will be explosive, but I do think they are going to have a little more something to them than fits that dynamic. And Western Michigan's got a redshirt freshman quarterback who might turn out to be really good. It's it's early though to be in a big stage. They they lost they've two straight years. They've had a second round pick. NFL receiver. I mean, they have had they have produced some incredible receivers uh, going back 16, 17 years, but also in the last five, six, seven receiver years uh, and NFL speed. The odds that Crooms, the, the 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 guy this year, is the, the third wave of that. You know, are they? They've got a couple transfers who you know. I don't know. Like I, I just don't think. I think they're going to be very good in the MAC. I think they've got a really good defense for the MAC. I think they're going to be able to run the football. Ladarius Jefferson's their sort of their power back, but against Michigan State, whose strength may be its interior defensive line, and I think can put up some points. I, I don't see the dynamic being right for for a Western Michigan upset. So, Chris, I, I want to kind of go back to something that you said a second ago. Well, mainly about the Jeff Thorne thing. It's like uh, 
boy, this is for someone who, you know, he coaches football, he's coached all his life. It feels like if anyone knows Peyton's strengths and weaknesses better, uh, better than anybody else, it would be him. So I wonder if, if there's enough notes there that maybe he could potentially uh, exploit and except he doesn't, he's not, he's not scheming against his son. That's the thing. That's that. But it's not like he can't tell them, tell the other coaches, you know, what's, what's going on or, you know, maybe try X, Y, or Z. Uh, Anyway, another thing I found interesting also was like, uh, I think it was Monday where, uh, or Tuesday, whenever uh, player availability was where Peyton was like, yeah, I have no idea where my dad is going to run. Okay. That is just absolute complete. Uh, BS, right? Of course, of, of course it is. I mean, yeah. these guys, these guys have schemes and concepts that carry with them. Now, the one thing I think that is interesting, everyone keeps fixating and focusing on Jeff Thorne and all this, but Tim Lester's a pretty good offensive mind himself, right? I mean, and he came from lower ranks and and played at Western. You know, I mean, coached at lower ranks, so they, they their philosophies come together, kind of in, in sim- similar ways, I think, to where Scotty Hazelton and Mel Tucker hadn't worked together. They come together and they have. Those two guys and Harlan Barnett, who had been a defensive coordinator, and then that first year, Mike Tressel, they had a bunch of different D coordinators that kind of blended into something new. So, I mean, you're going to have certain concepts and principles and and thing and and maybe even tendencies of play calls down and distance that that you're going to probably see and read. But at the same point, they're also looking at that to change things to try and keep it fresh at a new place. So when there is no tape. You can go off script a little bit, and I, I think that's you know that coaches understand that, and coaches know that, and players know that. That's why Mel Tucker called this a rules game, and in that you need to understand the general concepts, roles, and assignments. If X, Y, and Z happens, you need to do one, two, and three, and if A, B, and C happens, you need to do seven, eight, and nine. So I, I think that's you know that's that's and that goes on both sides of the ball too, because I think Michigan State's going to do some different things as well to to kind of mix up what they've done in, in large part because they they have shown a lot of that stuff to Jeff Thorne over the, the course of the last two years that he's been able to sit and watch the games from the stands. But and Graham, also I kind of think I'm ultimately with you in that I'm not quite sure if Western Michigan at this point really kind of has the talent to maybe hang with this Michigan uh, State team. Although I did see you know some of the games between these two teams have been close over the years, even, even with the good Michigan State Spartan team. So one of the things that, and, and you know, look, this is a new era, and you know, we, although we've seen one disastrous opener from Mel Tucker two years ago, and that you know that weird COVID year, you know, uh, uh, no fans, all that that big turnover game, but different team at that point, obviously. But we've also seen good MSU teams throughout the years, teams that wound up having great seasons, not be overwhelmingly impressive in this Week One Friday night game, and. And so I think there's there's that to to, to remember as well. I just you know I, I, you would think that there's some seasoning with this team. Now, now Michigan State's the the thing that I'm I'm really watching is up front. Like there's nothing Michigan State can do to be sure that they've got a squad that can stay on the field with Ohio State and, and beat Wisconsin and all that. There's nothing they can do against Western Michigan to know that for sure. But there are things that could happen that would let you know. Uh oh, there's a problem, uh, yes. and you want to avoid those. And that's if, if if Michigan State cannot run the football against Western Michigan, and Michigan State can't protect against Western Michigan, then you've got an uh oh situation. And so that that's the one thing that element of, um, you know that that, that I'm I'm very curious to see. And 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 then you know I mean I don't know what 
uh, Corey Crooms is going to be as a featured wideout, and they have two, you know, they've got a number of transfers, two transfers at, at wideout as well. But I, you know, I don't, I just, my sense is they don't have the team there, the, the players there to really, really uh, hurt Michigan State secondary that they've had the last couple of years. Well, you, you mentioned about some of those teams. I mean, I, I go back to the, the Rose Bowl season in 2013. That's the one um, I was thinking of. When Michigan State opened with Western and, you know, the offense struggled. They won 26 to 13. And, you know, those first couple of weeks, I mean, there is development that comes. And then I think, you know, sometimes, you know, you need that. And that was a little different circumstance situation coming out of 2012, having quarterback con- concerns and situations that, finally got ironed out and then all of a sudden you saw things take flight. This is obviously a, a different one. But that then then you look at the 2016 season of what happens and how well they started that year and then everything fell apart. So I mean, obviously it's unpredictable in, in some respects, but the things that you need to and want to see are are quite literally the first two things that we've talked about since the end of the year and that's how is the offensive line going to be? How is the pass defense? I mean, those two things right there. If you see, if you see some building blocks, then I think you feel better coming out of it, regardless of of how. And yeah, obviously, if you have to win it, you know. But if you see those two things, you know, that's probably to me a little more than you know putting up fifty five points. You know, if you if you can put up thirty five points and show production and growth, that to me is more more vital. And, and, and the other thing is, I mean, this is a week to get some work done. Cause I, I do believe that Akron. It's truly horrible. Um, yes, and and so you're you're not going to get a lot out of that next week. You you might get things like extended time for Noah Kim or wh- whatever it may be. You may get more guys on the field, and there's value in that. I'm not saying there's not value in the game, but uh, you will have a better un, you know sense of things after this game. It'll be the Washington game before you you you, you get tested. And and Western Michigan's defense is a pretty seasoned group, um, and and that program is is gotten itself and grown up a little bit in certain ways since I covered them over the years and, and um, you know, PJ Fleck on throughout, you know, and Tim Lester and, you know, they haven't won like they did at the end under Fleck, but they've been, you know, they're recruiting at a pretty high level for that league, um, at a better level than they ever did when I was covering them consistently. And uh, that, that'll be, um, I'll be, you know, I think that, I think it's good for Michigan state that I do think that defense is a pretty formidable defense, albeit at a, at a group of five level, but at least there's, you know, some resistance to some degree. You're not going to leave there with an entirely inflated sense of self that you don't deserve. Yeah. Week one is for the ones. Week two is for the twos and beyond. I, I think I totally agree with you on that. Uh, Chris, I got a question for you regarding, uh, you know, Michigan State depth chart. I know you had uh, the the rant about it in uh, last week's podcast. And of course, we this week, they say, you know, no depth chart until until game time, but uh, is there you, if you heard anything or you know heard any whispers or anything about maybe some changes or something that you know we might not know that that could uh, could be coming for us as a surprise on Friday night? Yeah, well, Mel Tucker was asked a couple different things and uh, to to kind of um, mimic his answers. We'll have to see. <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately. I mean, you know, they're not being. I mean, they're not going to talk about the kicker situation, uh, but obviously, you bring in a kicker that late. You know, I, I still don't know what it'll be i mean it could be kickoffs could be place kicking could be both who knows we'll see on that why well if they have to kick off first we'll see pretty away you know the return game i still think you know even 
if they just even if they don't have Jaden Reed back there, as I said before, you know that's ultimately where his money's going to be made. But you put him there now and in these games and try and get some guys some experience and keep him a little more protected. That's should be it should be in people's minds uh, to some extent. But um, but you also you also need the second kickoff guy because because Jalen Naylor had had been doing the second thing on that and. Montori Foster, when he got hurt, when when Naylor got hurt, was taken over. Montori Foster, you know, still, you know, is, is you know where he's at physically right now in terms of his health uh, is kind of a question mark. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it, it kind of holds firm to what we've kind of what limited glimpses we've seen, uh, which we you know we didn't see anything this week. We you know saw about fifteen minutes previous week, and you know fifteen minutes here, fifteen minutes there, and mostly just position work and not much in terms of full team stuff. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, that I, I the one thing I am curious about is just what they're going to do in the linebacker spot. Cause I think that in particular is one where I think they could go a number of different ways. Um, not just in this game, but, but throughout the course of the season, because I think they've got a few more guys now that can play compared to a year ago. And, uh, just in talking to Darius Snow, they also feel like they can match up with the opposing team's personnel. So I can I can see them doing different things, different games, depending on what the offense they're facing is. Yeah, and you, you bring up the, the the return game, and and that's that is interesting because it's a that's a hard thing to uh, to practice, right? It, it, it is because you can't really do it live and practice all that much, and so and it's also something that you can have somebody who's very quick and naturally very fast at another position who just doesn't have a knack for it. And some people have that knack. And so it, it's, these are two games here where I think you have um, a little bit of an opportunity to, if you'd like, uh, you're not screwing around. I mean, you screw around, you, you find, yourself, find yourself in a game with Western Michigan, but you might have an opportunity to try a, a couple of different people you're curious about out at those positions. And, um, and against Akron, I think there will certainly be a lot of punt. So maybe their punt return game. Yeah, and I th- I asked Courtney Hawkins this week a little bit about. We talked about it, I think, last week about Caden Hauser mentioning that Jaden Reed had been in and out of practice, and you know he basically said what I, I kind of said on the podcast. It's that you know here's a guy who's been through five preseason camps um, and has proven himself with his play on the field and in the classroom before games for you know four or five years at the major college level now, uh, he's earned a few days off. And I think, you know, that's some of, I think, what could be there with some of the the guys who have been in and out of practice. Um, veterans in particular, um, you want to get them closest, closest to 100% for the start of the season. And, you know, it, 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 I do think, though, that, you know, they'll, they'll probably go with Reed for those returns. If things get out of hand, they'll pull them quick. You know what I mean? It'll be more of a, a quick quick hook for, for guys that may not be 100% yet um, just to get them some, some almost like a preseason week one, get them a series, couple series, and then kind of go from there if, it, if the game goes favorably. All right, we're going to talk plenty of football at the end of the podcast where we'll do our over-unders and uh, predictions. But before we do that, I want to talk basketball for a hot second because, Chris, uh, you had a story uh, come out uh, earlier this week about uh, Tom Izzo's contract that we talked about on last week's podcast, but you actually got a copy of the actual contract. And there's a lot of you know stuff that comes with a lot of coaches' contracts, You know things like performance bonuses and the private plane and 
uh, all that stuff. But uh, the thing I think everyone, or at least you, jumped out at, I think is a uh, is a good one, is that you know once he retire once he retires, he has the opportunity to become a quote unquote special university advisor to the athletic director, where he would get paid six point two million dollars in the first year, and then seven hundred fifty k for each year after. Uh, boy, I would love to have that kind of golden parachute from Gannett. <laughs> They'll get right on that for us, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that the the right right after they get us some sponsorship for this podcast, right. I'm sure. Um, no, I, you know, none of this is a surprise to me. I think the one thing that, as I said, you know, previously, I mean, seeing what the details are, uh, particularly the, the buyouts and, and all of that, I, that to me, the buyouts ended up being kind of as you kind of thought it would be basically, but this was the one thing where for the first time we've really kind of seen a post ISO life at MSU spelled out in, in more concrete terms in terms of responsibilities and financial obligations for the university, things, things such as that. So, um, I, and the funny thing is like, I don't necessarily know that even that matters because, you know, as I've said many, many times, you know, it, it's hard to imagine Michigan state basketball without Tom Izzo. It's, it's harder for me to imagine Tom Izzo without Michigan state basketball. Um, as particularly with the recruiting run that he's been on the energy that he's shown, uh, in, in getting the, that, that class that's now up to number two in the country, uh, top player, according to one site with Booker, um, you know, this doesn't this it, it, it's crazy how how quickly this could move. But the reality of anybody that kind of sees and knows the situation is. This may be two, th- maybe like three, four, five, six, ten years out for it even comes to to, to being a, a concrete reality. Yeah, maybe this is a Tony Larissa, Jim Leyland season or type situation where, well, I'm still just going to be coaching into my 80s or whatever or, or something like that. <laughs> Well, you know, the other thing that's um, th- that's interesting about that is, you know, you remember when Heathcote retired, and some coaches do this different yes. ways. He thought it was very important that, that Izzo not have him around. He goes off to Spokane, and um, you're not just this overbearing presence. And I'm not saying that, you know, and, and, and frankly, Izzo has done a lot more of the program than Heathcote ever did, and so there might be advantages to having his association with it still, or at least that, you know, ha- having him and, and helping certainly, you know, get the next coach in place. Um, and, uh, and depending on how you handle it, it could, you know, and, and I think, I think Izzo will understand that too, having gone through it with, with, with Judd that, you know, there's, you really do have to step back, even if you're around, even if you're still at games, you have to, you only be supportive, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, he's not, he's not, he, he gets it. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting too. I'm really glad you brought up Judd because it did, it triggered me to something that I didn't really write about in the story on that. Uh, but, uh, you know, kind of going through it over the last few days the, the with a little more fine tooth comb. I think there's a poison pill in there that is specifically because of Judd Heathcote. And that's the university early termination other than cause. The, and, and I'll read the clause. The university may terminate this agreement prior to its expiration uh, at any time for any or no reason by giving the written the written notice to the coach. In the event of such termination, the university shall pay the coach liquidated damage in the amount of $7 million. Well, why do you think that is? Well, the reason that is, is back when 
Clarence Underwood was trying behind the scenes to get Judd Heathcote fired before his his he wanted to retire. And that to me is a poison pill put in there. Say, don't try and do this to me because you're going to owe me the money if you try and put me out like you tried to put my my friend and mentor out. And I don't blame I don't blame him. I mean, that's quite honestly, that's one of the 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 seediest and and really not really often talked about parts of uh, of that, because, you know, had that have happened in I think it was 94, um, you know, 93 or 94 before is a retired who knows or before Heathcote retired, who knows if if they would have done that and then pulled the plug on Tom Izzo as the coach and waiting at that point. Well, and it also makes it the same amount either way. So if he is the, you know, special advisor to the athletic director, he gets the money. If he's not, he gets the money. You know, <laughs> basically he gets mm-hmm. the money um, uh, either way. I, you know, I. Well, but this I, is this. If, if he was terminated in this respect, he wouldn't get the special advisor position. Right. That's what I mean. But he'd get the same amount of money. Right. Just, is what I'm saying. So that would that, yeah. Um, no, it, it, it's a, it's a fascinating deal. They, they've really gone and, and you know taken some. Uh, you know, taking care of, you know, and I think it was something that was probably important to do given all the emphasis on Mel Tucker's contract. And while Izzo understands that football drives the finances and, you know, he, he was around, look, he has regrets about Saban getting away and thinks he could have prevented that. And a lot of what happened, I think, with Mel Tucker is, you know, Ishbia was on campus then too. He was on that, that, that trip to North Carolina when it happened when the, when the basketball team was down there. And, and uh, so I think the, 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 the PTSD from that, that, that led to a lot of the university reaction where the money is and the, for Mel Tucker, uh, while that was all important, you know, Izzo has done a lot more for Michigan state in terms of elevating the university and athletics than Mel Tucker uh, has to this point. And, uh, um, you know, and, and the timing obviously worked out real well. Cause he's, you know, I, I don't think it was, it wasn't like he had to get these last couple of recruits, but certainly right now people are pretty uh, bullish on what's going on this summer with the with the basketball program. All right, well, let's move on to our over-unders and predictions for the 2022 Michigan State football season. We are going to start with one of the big ones first because both Chris and Graham have already written their game-by-game predictions columns. So if you are reading their content, you already know the answer to these questions, but we'll put this out in, in verbal format. Now, uh, the over-under for wins this season is 7.5, according to DraftKings. Graham, over-under, 7.5 wins. Yeah, I mean, I, I said 9-3 and three is what I predicted, so I've got to go over. I, I, I think it's, you know, I, that said, I, I do not think it's a sure thing. Like, it's not like last year with the, when the Vegas – and I think Vegas coming out of COVID, there were some soft lines last year that were easier to get. And I hope you got on the Northwestern over under last week. And that, that would have been a good one to get this year. Uh, I did, I did not. So I'm not saying that I'm acting like I knew it was coming. Um, but it, it is not a sure thing because there are games in September, frankly, uh, Minnesota and Washington that could be dicey and are not sure wins. And, um, if Michigan State gets through those unbeaten, I think this is a, a team that gets over the go over the under and gets the nine wins or, or, or more. But um, there's there's no guarantee of that. So I uh, give me the over. Uh, I'm going to take the over of last year's over under two, uh, just so we know. <laughs> I, I feel I want to go a little hindsight on that one, but I, I also have a nine wins. I mean, it's you know I, I think that you know obviously there's the you know barring the single potentially most catastrophic 
loss of an injury they might have if, if Peyton Thorne, God forbid, were to get hurt. Um, that would change everything because I don't, I mean, there's no experience behind them and, you know, what, how it might happen, when it, when it might happen, if it even happened, because he's proven himself to be a, I mean, he took all the snaps last year, all of them, except for the ones in garbage time that Anthony Russo got. So, you know, he's proven himself durable and, and viable to stay on the field, but that changes the season. If that happens, no brainer on that, obviously. But I do think that there are some coin flip games, just, you know, kind of like last year. And, you know, the Michigan game, I think, can be a coin flip game. I, you know, Ohio State playing them at home, you know, how are they at that point in the season when they go against them? Um, are they, you know, kind of, do they lose, you know, can they lose at Washington? Well, they haven't had great success on the West Coast. So, um, you know, but I, I, so I think even if you, you have at least one other game in there that you lose, I think you can get to eight wins um, and, and still have a better brand of football. But from an over-under standpoint, that doesn't, the brand of football doesn't matter. It's just how you, it's just getting there. So I think that I got the over. All right. Last year, Michigan State averaged 31.9 points per game um i thought about jump raising this line and going a little higher but then you figure how obviously how much kenneth walker impacted things for the Spartans last year so i'm gonna leave it at the exact same number over under 31.9 points per game chris what what is 9.5 phil tell me what (laughs) 9.5 is 9.5 is the amount of points per game that kenneth walker accounted for in his 12 games as a michigan state spartan so you take those out of there can Jalen Berger and uh, Jarek Broussard and then throw in, you know, Keon Coleman and, and uh, you know, Jeremy Bernard. Can those guys, that many guys in Daniel Barker make up that nine and a half points between them? Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure. I, it doesn't necessarily mean I think that they can't be a productive offense. I just think I'm taking the under on that um, just because I think Walker – particularly with the red zone, Ryan. Remember, this is a program that struggled to find the red zone touchdown for yep. two and a half years. Yep, you're right. I mean, you know, that, and and really, I don't think any of the running backs, none of the other running backs scored a touchdown last year on on a, on a run play. I, I think there were a couple, like Simmons, I think, had one on a, on a screen against Northwestern, Collins against, uh, in the second week game, I think, Youngstown State, but... So that, that they got to prove they can reach the end zone. So obviously a few different guys there, but I think I think it'll be a shade under that. You know, maybe in the high twenties, uh, pushing close to that thirty. But I, I think thirty one point nine is just, you know, I mean, I, 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 again, unless there's like a bunch of first play scores, you know, who knows? But I, I, I'm going under. I'm going over, and uh, for a couple reasons, I do think the offense is more diverse than a year ago, but I also think they play Akron, and. You know, if you go back to the year that Michigan State averaged 43 points a game under Dave Warner in 2014, the greatest offense in school history statistically, that was a very good offense. That was not all smoke and mirrors or anything. But they also put up 70 on Eastern Michigan, which helped them get to 43 a game. And uh, I think the Akron game uh, will be a 50-plus point offensive game, uh, which helps them average over 31. You really don't like Joe Moorhead as a as an offensive guru, do you? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, that. that's a, I mean, that's a guy that basically is the guru of, of creating RPO football. And it, it, he, look, he has Lord, experience in the Big Ten at Penn State. And if Jez Lord Botang has you know twelve and a half sacks <laughs> in a game, maybe maybe we got something. But um, I, I just 
uh, yeah, I, and it's not that they won't be good offensively. I just I worry about them uh, defensively being uh, being run over. And, and the thing is, they play a they they set their schedule up. They play like a, a Division Four uh, NAI school uh, freshman team in Week One. I'm not even sure it can count as a game. Um, and so they will be they should be one and zero, but we'll have no idea. Uh, unlike Washington, who like one thing to watch for Washington, Washington plays a Kent State team that I think is at least like middle of the pack, Mid American Conference, a little more, a little more seasoned than Akron. Um, and while that won't tell us everything about Washington, Washington's offense was horrible last year, so we'll get a sense of like that offense is already you know quite a bit better or or, or not. I was just going to say it's fascinating to me that Michigan State hasn't played Akron since like 1914 or something like that. With all the games against the MAC over the years, like you would think that Akron would have been somewhere in there. But and how do you not get a home and home series when the Rubber Bowl was around? I mean, that's a great ability. <laughs> all right, these next two are, are Peyton Thorne related. Honestly, I didn't know where to set these. I I thought I thought I was gonna initially go way too high on these, so I could just kind of settle for a little some conservative numbers here. Uh, last year, Thorne for three thousand two hundred thirty three yards and twenty seven touchdowns. Uh, let's. Uh, well, let's just do both at the same time. I've set the both lines at 3,700 yards passing and 29 and a half TDs. So that's like 450 plus yards increase in the passing and then an additional three passing touchdowns. Graham. Those are both school records, I believe, uh, or would be. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go under. I was, I was looking to see and find my school records to see exactly where that would be. Yeah. Those, those are quite a bit school. I like, I, I, uh, oh, I gotta be honest. I, th- I thought he put those too low, to be honest with you. But, well, but maybe not. Here will be here will be my reason for under, and, and you never want, uh, you know, anything. That, the the uh, Thorn was was completely uh, the idea that he'll go 100 percent healthy, play every game, um, and I, I think he has a chance to, to set some records. But if you're if you, you were playing over unders here, like if I was to put money on this, mm-hmm. um, just playing the odds and depending on what the juice was, I would. But I would probably take. The under, just because again, those are school records, and there's it's it's hard to it's hard to break school records. There have been other good quarterbacks and prolific offenses that have that have come through Michigan State, and um, I yeah I, I would I would go I would go under on both, but not feel good about it. Yeah, thirty three ninety five for Jeff Smoker in two thousand three, so he wasn't too far off. And that last year's total was third behind. Uh, that smoker year and, and Kirk Cousins 2011. Um, and then obviously he broke uh, Kirk Cousins touchdown passes by two. Um, so that would obviously break his own record. I mean, you know, I, I you know, I, I probably just having to be realistic, say under um, for them a little bit, uh, just simply because not because of Peyton Thorne, I think just because of the experience on the offensive line that, that I think, you know, he may need to he may need to run more than than he did last year out of necessity. Um, you know, so the, that would limit some of those passing opportunities. But I also think even some of those those runs to Walker might end up turning into screen passes to Broussard, screen passes to Berger and and Collins and Simmons and Joiner. And I mean, the backfield, the guys in the backfield catch the ball better and could maybe sometimes be more dynamic. In, in that respect. And I think getting, adding Barker as a red zone tight end could also help. Um, you know, I, I think the yards might be under 
I'd say he's going to be right around last year's total for touchdown passes. Boy, I guess I should have done. I guess the host should have done better research uh, in the Michigan State annals to uh, to see where to set those lines. Uh, let's move on to everyone's favorite uh, wide receiver, Keon Coleman. So last year, Trey Mosley, the number three receiver, had three touchdown passes, or excuse me, three touchdown receptions. So. Uh, I guess as you as you saw with the Thorn numbers, you know I'm, I'm kind of thinking maybe there's some sort of leap with Thorn this year, even for better numbers last season, which you guys may disagree. With. So that's why I set the Keon Coleman TDs number at four and a half. Although I think I know where everybody's going at this point. Chris, sophomore year, Jaden Reed, uh, which would have been his second year in college, and only seven games had three touchdown catches. Um, I you know, and that was a, that was actually a shortened season, so you extrapolate that out with. Uh, probably around like six or so. I think Coleman, I'm going to say over with that, not much over. Yeah. Um, particularly because he's going to be a guy, one, that people have talked about and, and coaches and players have talked about so much this year that he's easily on other teams' radar. I mean, and, you know, let's face it, his athletic talent, playing basketball and everything else, opposing teams are going to have him circled regardless. Um, and two because I think Jeremy Bernard is also going to have some of those catches and have some say-so in, in the balls that don't go to Reed and don't go to uh, uh, Mosley. Uh, and I think Mosley ends up getting more catches as well. So they're deep at receiver. I I, so I, I think I'd probably actually put it right around five yeah. for him, maybe six. Yeah, I'd go over as well. Okay, I, wow, um, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I just – I mean, I do think – they have not been shy in terms of showing highlights of him, and, and those are usually cues that they think he's in line for a decent year. Um, you know, he's going to be the number three wide out, but he's really the number two on the outside. So I think in a lot of there's a there's a chance that in two tight end sets where they're just two wide outs that he's still on the field some, um, and we'll have to see how that that looks and the, what formations there and all that stuff. But I think he's going to play a lot, um, and uh, I would you know. I also just have this hunch that he's going to have sort of a nose for the end zone a little bit. And uh, so, you know, I don't know that it'll sail over, but I, I would take the over. Over under different starting running backs this year, two and a half. Graham. Oh, give me, give me the under. Okay. You, you think that you think they'll, ha- they'll have one settled here pretty quickly? Well, you said two and a half. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, I mean, I, you know, if you had one and a half, I'd go over. Yeah. And it may okay, be fair. the one settled. It may not be that, but, and, and, and obviously injuries can, can change that. Um, and, and that's part of why I didn't think Thorne might get the, you know, the full bit, but I, I would go under, you know, but again, at that position with the injuries and stuff, I would not feel great about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think probably two, um, but I, but injuries are, are a thing. And I think, I think they, they'll match up some personnel. So, I mean, you may see some things where maybe if they want to come out and sling it a little bit some game, they throw Harold Joyner in there as the starting running back for the first play, right? Um, you know, go a little bigger. I don't know. I, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm just going to spitball it and say over. Uh, I, I, think, I think three guys end up getting starts. I, I also think it's, it's hard to remember that, you know, both – Elijah Collins and Jordan Simmons have started at MSU mm-hmm. and those other two guys have started. So they've got four guys with starting experience. I don't, I, I, I think I feel comfortable saying it, but I think it, you know, two to three to me makes sense, but maybe it ends up being four guys. Maybe, maybe they just rotate them around every couple of weeks and, you know, just 
just to mix up their their play calling from the outset. All right. Uh, this is a sacks related uh, uh, over under. So I don't know if you guys knew this or not. I didn't know that. You guys might know this. MSU was sixth nationally last year in sacks last year. Tied for seventh after the bowl games. Really? Oh, okay. I guess. So. Yes. All right. Tied six with oh, fine. Tied for seventh nationally at forty three sacks. Uh, Jacob Panashuk led the way with seven last year, uh, but he is gone. Uh, but can others pick up the slack? So they, I will say the over under for that is forty three and a half. Can they match last year's total, or are they set to uh, set for a downgrade? Does Brandon Jordan, you know, lift that number to a to a different spot? You know, there's so much buzz about what Brandon Jordan has done. Um, you know, it, it, it's still it. You know, it feels somewhat hype driven um because we've not seen what this guy can do as a defensive line coach or a pass rush specialist um other than working with guys individually and what they've done this is a little different working in the team role at this level um and that that 43 is a, a pretty lofty number you know and you know they talked all off season about how much they, they struggled to generate pressure even despite getting home that many times. So I, I think there's this focus on that. I, I'll say a little bit over that um, because I think that, you know, the, the, the position people have changed, but I also think that they're going to be bringing some blitzes from different ways with linebackers and maybe guys off the edge that I, I think that it's not just going to simply be the defensive lineman. I think it's going to be uh, coming from a pressure from a bunch of different areas this year that kind of gets home. Yeah, I'll, I'll go over to, I, I, I think it's an emphasis. I think it's, um, you know, I don't know, if they, you know, as Chris said, I don't know if they have a true edge guy or whatever, but I, I, I do think that it's a, um, yeah, I, g- give me, uh, give me the over. We only got one more guy, one more over under before we move into predictions. So we're, we're almost done guys. Hang in there. All right. Uh, our last one. Uh, we love the offensive line here on the Spartan speak podcast. So I think we do this one every year over under different offensive line starters. The Spartans had seven last year, which is lower than they've had probably in the previous four or five years with Jarrett horse, AJR Curry, JD Duplain, uh, Matt Allen. Is that right? Matt Allen. I froze. Yep. yep. Kevin yep, Jarvis. You got the right one. Blake Buter <laughs> and Spencer Brown. Uh, so I will set the under with an additional starter at seven and a half. That's a that's a good number, Phil. That's a great that. number. That's right. That's a great number. Uh, give give me uh, give me the over. Yeah. yeah, give me the over. And and I don't feel like you know I mean, it's such a hard thing to know with injuries and all that sort of stuff. I because I, I think if it, based on who they have, they would love it to be the under. Um, but that yeah. you, you just you control you don't control that you know so. Well, and we say that here at the end of August, you know, by October, it could be different if some of those younger guys take, take a step forward and, and supplant some of those veterans, maybe even. Um, so I'm going to say over by one because of the natural development that can happen and plus the injuries. But I'm going to take the under at uh, 0.5 on how many Allens play on the offensive line this year, which will be the first time, I believe, since. 2009 without an Allen brother. Yeah. Does that sound right? I mean, that's, uh, it. you know, uh, you know, that, that I, there won't be an Allen. I can guarantee there will <laughs> not be an Allen on the line. Watch them pull, do what they do with that. You know how they just brought in a kicker a couple weeks ago. Maybe they'll just bring in a random Allen here uh, tomorrow. And then we'll really just kind of, kind of get into it. And yeah, 2011, <laughs> I believe 2011 was the last time Jack, when Jack Allen started the run. I mean, that's a, that's a heck, that's a full decade of Allen's. 
pretty impressive. It is. Maybe Alan Haller can can <laughs> suit up again or something. Great great piece on Alan Haller today, by the way, Grant. Oh, I appreciate that. Rapid fire here. Big Ten West champions, Graham. You know, uh, give me. That's so hard. Because there's, there, you there's, had Nebraska, didn't you? No, no, but there. I actually did. I was a little puzzled by Nebraska's, um, you know, uh, sort of place and all that. But I, give me, you know, it feels like an Iowa year in certain ways. Um, I, the team that I, and I know they lost a great receiver. And I know they lost a great defensive uh, pass rusher, but but Jeff Brom with a with a veteran quarterback, and I, I don't like. We're going to learn a lot about Purdue in the opener against Penn State at home, and um, I, I don't. They win that game, and they're a three and a half point home dog. I think I, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to watch watch them. But but yeah, I, I think Iowa is my team this year. I wish I could see what I what I I'd done my projections uh, earlier, and you know I, I you know Nebraska never really to me struck me as as being back, if you will, um, to be in contention. Um, I I do think that what will be interesting, uh, you know, what where, what happens with Minnesota? I think Minnesota is, is going to be a fascinating team to watch this year because they've had success, and those guys have been there almost as long as Jack Allen. Um, played. I mean, this feels like some of those guys like Tanner Morgan have been there since 2011. Um, and they've got a lot of 60-year guys that are coming back. Um, but I still think, you know, when the dust settles, you know, it, it's a two-team race between Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, Minnesota could play a spoiler, and, and maybe if they do get hot, they can, they can pull it out. But I, I think I would probably lean on uh, – I'd probably say Wisconsin – uh, just for 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 my, I, I just think they've they've got what it takes to get it done. They've got a good run game, surprisingly. Big Ten East champs. Somebody besides Ohio State. Rutgers. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait a, no, wait a second. You know what I can't wait for? I want to. I want to live in a world where the Big Ten East gets USC and UCLA too. I want them to be in the Big Ten East. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, no. To me. If anybody other than Ohio State, um, I think Ohio State, after a year they don't win it, is a dangerous team. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think they're going to be pretty good. That you know that because the other problem in the East is it's not that somebody can't beat them, but you know I don't know that the rest of the East separates itself enough. So, so you know, let's just say Michigan State beats Ohio State on on you know October eighth, huge win. You know, and as it. And is undefeated, is beating Minnesota and, and all that stuff. Like Michigan State, I don't know that they still win the East. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of tough games left, and um, I, I think that's the hard part. I think it, it's going to be so hard for everybody else to not have a couple losses. Uh, that even if somebody upsets Ohio State, it's it's um, you know, and then if yeah, yeah, so give me Ohio State. All right, who's your who's your Big Ten champ, guys? Yeah, I'd go with Ohio State as well, yeah. uh, because of that reason. I mean, you know, you, when Ohio State is, um, you know, kind of been counted out or kind of doubted a little bit, and obviously it's different, a little different when it's Ryan Day and first first taste of of, of a down year last year as head coach. So, I think that 
it, I, I think this is Ohio State. The East is still, to me, markedly better than the West it, by a number of teams, not just one or two. All right, let's get we we're two more two more predictions here. College football playoff teams and your national champion, Graham. Holy smokes! Um, Jeez, Phil. We do this every we do uh, this every uh, every year. I know, I know, I know. It's uh, so. I'm going to go on a limb and say Georgia loses too much. It's not going to be two out of the SEC. Um, so give me Ohio State. Give me Alabama coming off a year where it wasn't them, so to speak. And then I don't think the Pac-12 is going to have – So it gets really interesting. Does Clemson bounce back there? I'll, I'll say Clemson does. I think their defense is still pretty elite. I think – I don't know if they are what they were a couple of years ago. But I think Clemson um, gets in. And then somebody out of the Big Twelve. There might be a surprise team. Is it a you know a, a, you know an Oklahoma State type? Is it um, you know something like that? Would be uh, I'll, I'll I'll put out there. I, I, so the Big Twelve sends a team. Who's your national champion? Give me Bama. I know it's original. <laughs> Chris, I'd, I'd probably say the usual suspects again with Alabama and Ohio State, Georgia. I'd still put up there and. Yeah, I I can't like I just even just looking at the polls, you know who is the team that that I think can jump up and and surprise? Well, I mean, is it going to be someone like a you know a, a ten to fifteen team? Probably not because that's not how this works. This this is just yeah. there's a formula to how these things work. Usually, you know, it's like twelve you know top ten to twelve teams. You'll you'll have someone that pretty much ends up in there from the preseason. So I, I kind of agree with Graham. I'm going to say Oklahoma um, and ends up being the, the other team that gets in at, and the Big 12 gets a little little love in that respect because, they, you know, that I, I still think that they, and maybe some of it is that that group wants to keep another conference too. So, but but and think about this though. I mean, this is another reason the the playoffs can expand here, but why it has to? How, how dull is this freaking conversation? Right. Exactly. And I understand that these programs have, yeah. have 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 earned it, but they've also been propelled by being in it. You know, it, it's almost like if you were great at the right time, and now the five stars all come to you because you're one of the team. Like once you get to twelve or sixteen, and it, it's spread around. I think the recruiting changes. I think over time the dynamic changes, and um, so it, it'll just be a lot more fun. Like I, I, you know, I would love to, you know, on a podcast, you know, some year be like, all right, who are your twelve playoff teams? That would be fun, you know, and that would uh, be a, a, a good conversation. Where uh, you know how I feel, like the whole idea of the, like there were five power leagues, and they came up with a playoff that had four spots. And it's like having five children. And telling, you know, one of them, you don't get to eat and it's your fault. Because that's the way they treat it. Like, it's, you're less than. You didn't make it. They almost mock you in these national shows. and they, Like, it is an awful. And I believe if you were for the 14 playoff, that needs to lead your obituary. needs to be on your tombstone. And uh, we can spit on it. I, I, before we even go any further, do you, you know how much I hate preseason predictions? I just do, and just it because I think that it, to me it spoils kind of the the beauty of the unwind. You know, it's not it's not a what, it's 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 arguing for the sake of arguing. Give me the season. I, that's where I'm at right now. I think too. It's like give me the season. Give me the games. Let me watch not just what unfolds, but how things unfold. Because there's 
you know, injuries. There's guys that develop. There's guys that regress. I mean, you know, the beauty of college football is is in the season. And sometimes everybody, everybody, and I think prognosticators, talking heads, fans, everybody gets too caught up in projecting and predicting and not enough sometimes in just enjoying it. And that's what I like about watching college football. So let's get to Friday. All right. Well, I'll just I'll cut the last thirty minutes of the podcast down. We'll just uh, <laughs> we'll 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 call it a day then. <laughs> maybe, maybe the first fifteen two on NIL. Hey, you know what? You want know go back and tack in the uh, the the over unders from last year and see how wildly off we were. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's the beauty of these things. We because then we get another segment out of this because good to revisit it at the end of the year and see how uh, how bad or how good we were. Usually bad, but you know what? So it goes. Glad it's here, as, as Chris said. I mean, it, it's time, and, and you know, it's, um, you know, it's funny. I did a vacation this year in August for two weeks, and it's made August faster, right? Like, you know, you, August is. Oh well, yeah, well, you're not there for two and a half weeks of a four saying, week camp. I, I would encourage every fan and writer to disappear for two weeks in camp because it is almost like camp gets here. And look, you know, cover these. And, and different teams and other things and going back to high school football and covering that and for 20 years now and, and you know you get so in many years you get so pumped for like the beginning of football practice in august and football is here and then august is long <laughs> and the storylines don't really change and you're just waiting for the games and and uh uh and you can see it um right now with the fan base and people are just ready and clamoring and if you can find a way to escape for a week or two every august and 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 uh, sort of get out of the uh, the monotony of, of you know what's not actually as exciting as you thought it would be. <laughs> it, uh, I would I would encourage it. Spoken like a columnist and not a beat writer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I, I uh, just like the last thing I think going into this, uh, Michigan State announced its captains for the game. Here's a shock: it's Peyton Thorne, it's Xavier Henderson, and punter Bryce Berenger. Those are the three captains for the first week uh, of the season. So now that we got that out of the way, let's get to football. That's that's what I want. Or we're all everybody's been kind of itching and kind of ch- chomping at the bit to just be like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Now it's here. Let's uh, let's tee it up and and see how it plays out. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari, at Graham underscore couch, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.